Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Our sermon passage this morning is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. Before I read the passage for us, I want to exposit for you a theme uh, that runs throughout the scriptures. Uh, Throughout the Bible, one of the fundamental things that God wants for mankind is that we listen to his word. So in Genesis chapter 3, in the first pages of the Bible, when Adam and Eve disobey God, as God is pronouncing his curse for disobedience uh, to Adam, do you remember how God starts his address to Adam? God's first words to Adam are not, because you have eaten. God's first words to Adam in that passage are, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, listening to the voice of your wife is often a good thing, but God intentionally frames the first disobedience as a failure of listening. Adam and Eve, of course, get kicked out of Eden. Many years later, God chooses the nation of Israel for himself and promises to bring them back to the Eden-like promised land. God delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt. Eventually, Israel arrives at the edge of the promised land. And as Israel sits perched on the edge of the promised land, ready to enter, Moses delivers to Israel the most important commandment in God's law which is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you remember how Moses introduces that most important commandment? He says this, Hear, O Israel, or literally, listen, Israel. At the end of that same book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, Moses, still on the edge of the promised land with Israel, God lets Israel know what will happen to them depending on whether they obey or disobey his covenant once they enter into the promised land. He delivers to them covenant blessings and covenant curses. And this is how God introduces those blessings and curses. He says, if you faithfully listen to the voice of the Lord, here are the blessings that will befall you. On the other hand, but if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord your God, here are the curses that are waiting for you. Israel enters the promised land, and very quickly they start not listening to God's voice. Uh, Eventually, God raises up a king for Israel, uh, but Israel's first king, Saul, is no good. And you'll never guess why Saul is no good. It's because he doesn't listen. The book of 1 Samuel tells us the story of King Saul, and right in the middle of the narrative about Saul, which is prose, in the middle of 1 Samuel chapter 15, right after Saul has disobeyed God, we get a little poem, not a rhyming poem, but a poem nonetheless. And here's what that poem, the centerpiece of that story says. It says, "'Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices?' as in listening 
to the voice of the Lord. Behold, to listen is better than sacrifices and to pay attention than the fat of rams. After King Saul, we get King David, who does a good job listening to the voice of the Lord, except when he doesn't. David's son Solomon is exceedingly wise, and he writes a book called Proverbs about how to live skillfully. Twelve times in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, we find that verb, listen, hear my son, Ashley read for us from chapter 4. Proverbs says, how do you live a wise life? The wise father of Proverbs says, hear, listen, pay attention to God's good instruction. A King Solomon himself fails to listen, as do his descendants who sit on his throne after him. So all throughout the prophetical books of the Old Testament, the refrain is the same. Jeremiah says, hear the word of the Lord. O house of Israel, Hosea, hear the words of the Lord, O children of Israel. Malachi, if you will not listen, I will curse your blessings. From the beginning of the Bible, we see that God puts a high priority on listening to his word. God's word is given to us as the map that shows us what reality is like. God's word is the lens through which we view the world light, rightly. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that shows us where to go. God's word is compared in the Bible to sweet honey, to bright sunshine, and to precious gold. God's word is what gives us new life and moves us to trust in the Lord in the first place. God's word is the means by which we do relationship with the living God. So it's no surprise that one of the fundamental things that God wants from the people created in his image is that they listen to his word. We see the same in our sermon passage this morning from Mark chapter 4, again, verses 1 to 25. Let me read those verses for us. And as I do, notice that our passage is saturated with the language of hearing God's word. I'll read the passage and then pray for us. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. 
But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. May our gracious God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Please join me in prayer one more time. Father, you give ears to hear. Lord, forgive our dullness of hearing. Lord, would your spirit, the spirit who inspired this Bible passage, Come and help us. Lord, would you incline our hearts to your testimonies? Would you help us to understand what you say, to see the truth, the beauty, the glory of it, to embrace it, to see Christ in it, to be changed through it, to be given faith by it? Help me as I preach. Help us as we listen. Would you do your people good by your word? Lord, would the seed of the gospel even today bear fruit and eternal life in those who hear. Lord, help us, not because we are deserving, but because you are good and gracious and generous. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Five points in the sermon this morning. Five points. First, the context. Second, the parable. Third, the interpretation. Fourth, the purpose. And fifth, the application. If you didn't get those, don't worry. I'll reiterate them as we go along. First point this morning is the context of the parable that we find in chapter 4. Our passage this morning uh, contains the first sort of big section of Jesus' teaching that we've encountered in Mark's gospel. So several times in Mark's gospel so far, we've heard that Jesus was teaching. But Mark hasn't yet recorded for us anything like a big chunk of Jesus' teaching or a sermon from Jesus. So why suddenly here at chapter 4 do we get a big block of Jesus' teaching? Well, I think part of the answer to that question 
is that Mark has included Jesus' teaching in this chapter in order to explain what has happened in the narrative so far. Or more specifically, Mark is explaining through Jesus' teaching why not everyone has listened to Jesus' message about God's kingdom. So what we've seen so far in Mark's gospel is that in word and in deed, Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of God. So the summary statement of Jesus' teaching ministry that we got in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, was this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we looked at those verses, you might remember we said that when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, it seems like he's referring to two things. So first, the kingdom of God is God's kingly authority in action or his royal power being asserted. God's kingdom is his kingly self-assertion. God the king shown up to save and to judge his enemies. The second thing I think Jesus means by God's kingdom is that it's a reference to the sort of blessed realm or the domain over which God rules as king. So think of the Garden of Eden and all the flourishing that was there because of God's uncontested rule over it. Or think of the new heavens and the new earth and all of the blessing that abounds where God rules. So when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, what he means is that now that Jesus has shown up, God is acting through Jesus to restore all things, to save God's people, to reestablish the blessing of God's kingly rule. In these early chapters of Mark, Jesus hasn't just talked about the kingdom. He's also shown us that he's bringing the kingdom through his works. Remember, we've seen Jesus repulse the kingdom of Satan by casting out demons. We've seen Jesus heal the terrible brokenness of sickness and disease and affliction. Jesus has called sinners to repentance and granted them amnesty for their rebellion against God's kingship. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is at hand. The prophetic plan of God is being fulfilled. Well, if that's the case, at this point in the narrative, the astute reader might have a question. If the kingdom of God is at hand, why isn't everyone listening to Jesus? If God really is at work through Jesus to restore the blessing of his reign, of his kingship, If this really is the beginning of all of God's promises being fulfilled, why has Jesus gotten such a mixed reception? Why isn't everyone listening to him? Some people have listened to Jesus. For example, his 12 disciples and those we saw sitting around Jesus in the last chapter. Uh, Other people have shown kind of a a shallow and uncomprehending, um, uncomprehending enthusiasm about Jesus, which we'll see as the gospel progresses doesn't really last. Others, like the scribes and Pharisees, have outright rejected Jesus. So Jesus hasn't exactly restored the full blessedness of God's kingly realm yet in the story. So what we find in Mark chapter 4 is that Jesus tells us a series of parables about the surprising nature of God's kingdom. And now that Jesus has arrived, the time is indeed fulfilled, the kingdom of God is indeed at hand, But the kingdom doesn't look exactly as we would have anticipated. At least it doesn't yet. Uh, Jesus uses the parables we find in chapter 4, which we'll look at this week and next week, uh, to explain. 
So the parable we're looking at this morning, it speaks specifically to the question Mark's narrative has raised. If Jesus is bringing God's kingdom, why hasn't everyone listened to him? That's the question suggested by our first point, the context of the parable. Point number two, let's look at the parable itself uh, there in verses one to nine. Mark tells us in verse two that Jesus, as he's sitting on this boat beside the sea, told the crowd many things in parables. So the simplest definition of a parable is an illustrative story. So our word parable is related to the Greek word from which we also get a parabola, remember from algebra, a parabola is sort of a, a bowl-shaped curve. And in a parabola, I confirmed with Virginia Tech math graduate Mike Shoka, I confirmed parabolas are symmetrical to one another. So one half of a parabola mirrors or reflects the other half of a parabola. So what Jesus is doing in a parable, you might say, is telling a story which mirrors or matches or reflects another truth that he wants to illustrate, often a spiritual truth about the kingdom of God. The story reflects the spiritual point. Parables often also have kind of a punch or a twist or a surprise to them. The parables can be provocative in the best kind of way. Jesus' parables have been helpfully, helpfully compared to political cartoons. So these are pictures which give kind of a pointed interpretation of reality. So our first parable in chapter 4 is very straightforward. It's all about a sower who sows seed all over the place. And the seed falls on four different kinds of soils. Some falls on the path that gets eaten by the birds. Some falls on rocky ground, springs up quickly, but the rockiness of the soil prevents the deep roots from developing. So when the sun gets hot, the seed on the rocky soil is scorched and dies. Some seed falls among the thorns. The thorns grow up with the seed and choke it so it bears no fruit. Some seed falls into good soil and produces grain. Commentators point out that just as there are sort of three ways for the seed to go bad, right? There's the path, the rocky soil, and the thorns. So there are sort of three degrees of fruitfulness in the good soil. Some seed bears 30-fold, some 60-fold, some a shocking 100-fold. So there you have the parable. Point number two. Well, what does it mean? What's the interpretation of the parable. Point number three, Jesus tells the disciples unequivocally what the interpretation of the parable is there in verses 13 to 20. At first, it's important to note this parable is about the kingdom of God. There in verse 11, Jesus refers to the meaning of his parables as the secret of the kingdom of God. Uh, the parables that we'll look at next week, Lord willing, they begin with Jesus saying something like, the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus is telling parables that illustrate the nature of God's kingdom. Uh, verse 10, uh, Jesus delivers this interpretation not to the crowd, but to the disciples and to some others around the disciples at a later time. So the, the sort of key insight to interpreting the parable is there in verse 14. It says, the sower sows the word. Once you hear that, everything else kind of clicks into place, right? The seed in this parable represents God's word, and particularly the gospel of the kingdom at the center of God's word. 
So the scattering of the seed is the spreading of the message about God's kingdom. As Jesus has been traveling around Galilee, preaching and teaching, he has been scattering kingdom seed. In chapter 6, Jesus is going to send out his 12 apostles to scatter more kingdom seed. By extension, as we scatter the message of the gospel with our friends and neighbors throughout the week, we are scattering the seed of the kingdom. And as with any seed, these seeds are sown so that they might bear fruit. They're sown so that there might be a harvest. Uh, The seed of God's gospel is sown in hopes that it might spring up in new and eternal life. Think of the passage that Jim read for us earlier from 1 Peter. Right, Peter, by the way, who heard this parable live, he tells first century Christians that they've been born again. They've been given new life. How? Through the seed that is God's word. So before we continue any further in Jesus' interpretation of the parable, it's important to note the reason that the seed of God's word is a seed that can give new life is because it's a message about Jesus who died and rose to new life. The reason that the seed of the gospel gives new life is because it's about Jesus who died and rose to new life. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. We're delighted that you have come. You're very welcome to be with us. Uh, Friend, listen, the Bible teaches that because we are all sinners and rebels against God, we are all spiritually dead apart from Jesus. We are, by nature and by choice, cut off from the God of life because of our sins against him. And unless we are united by faith to Jesus, we do not have a life-giving relationship with God. We are headed, the Bible says, for death and for what the Bible calls the second death, which is judgment for our sins after death. But the Bible speaks about a seed that is able to give spiritually dead people new life. The seed is the message of the gospel or the good news about Jesus. See, even though we have earned death for our disobedience, in his great love, God sent his son Jesus to take on himself the death that we deserved. As Jesus died on the cross, he died as a substitute for all who would believe in him, taking on himself the punishment of God against sin. Three days after Jesus died, he rose from the dead to new and eternal life. And now God has given that message about Jesus, that gospel, that Jesus died for sinners and rose from the dead and offers to save all who will trust in him to the church. God promises that anyone who will trust in Jesus will be made alive through union with him, will be given a living relationship with the living God through the life-giving word of his gospel. If you have any questions about how the new life that Jesus offers might be yours, please don't hesitate to talk to someone after the service. Talk to me, talk to anyone you see up here. We'd be delighted to talk to you more about how the seed of God's gospel can give new and eternal life. The seed of God's gospel is intended as it's sown 
to bear the fruit of eternal life. But what Jesus' parable makes very clear is that that's not always what happens when the gospel goes out. The four kinds of soil in this parable represent four kinds of people who hear God's word. So first, the ones along the path, Jesus says, are those whom Satan blinds to the meaning of God's word. We're not told how Satan does that, but throughout the Bible, we're told that Satan exercises a real, though invisible, impact on the spiritual state of people. And in some cases, Satan is like a bird who snatches the life-giving message of the gospel from a heart before the heart can understand it. The second, the seed that falls on the rocky soil, Jesus says, represents those who receive God's word with an enthusiasm that doesn't last. This is the person who gets excited about the message concerning Jesus until things get difficult. A suffering, Jesus says, is what proves whether the gospel takes root deep in our hearts. A third, the seed that falls among the thorns represents the person who hears God's word, but what does Jesus say? He says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke out God's word. Friends, what a caution to us that something seemingly as innocent as the desire for other things can be deadly to saving faith in God's word. It's, it's possible that someone would hear the most important news in the whole world, right? the message that Jesus died for sinners, rose from the dead, and offers eternal life to everyone who will trust in him. It's possible to hear that message, and then the concerns of everyday life, right? the momentary pleasures that the world calls us to run after, the emptiness of the things we pursue, it's possible that those mundane things would choke out the word, would keep us from treasuring it, would keep us from trusting in it. Fourth and finally, the seed that falls on the good soil. Jesus says these seeds are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. In Luke's version of the parables, he said these are those who hold the word fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And Jesus repeats in his interpretation in verse 20 that some bear fruit 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. That seems to be an indication that those who receive the word do so sort of with varying degrees of, of fruitfulness. So there, by the way, is the answer to our question from point number one. If Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God, why isn't everyone listening to him? Well, it's because God's plan is for his kingdom to spread through his word. And because we live in a world where Satan snatches the seed, where human hearts are hard and fickle, and where deadly distractions from the gospel abound. The punchline to the interpretation of the parables is this. How we respond to God's word includes or excludes us from the kingdom of God. How we respond to God's word includes or excludes us from the kingdom of God. That's what determines whether or not we bear fruit unto salvation. That's our third point, the interpretation of the parable. It's a parable about hearing God's word. Now, if, if that's what Jesus' parable means, 
why didn't Jesus just say that? Why does he use a parable at all? Well, Jesus answers that question for us too, there in verses 10 to 12. So point number four this morning is the purpose of the parables. Why does Jesus use parables? Look at me, look with me at verses 10 to 11. They say, and when he was alone, those around him, notice that phrase, with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, notice that phrase, everything is in parables. I remember last week how we saw that Mark makes a distinction between those who are with Jesus and those who are outside. Mark is alluding to that same distinction in this passage. Last week we saw that that was Mark's way of distinguishing between those who were committed to following Jesus, they were around him hearing his teachings, and those who wanted Jesus to sort of adapt to their terms. Those were the ones on the outside who wanted Jesus to come out to them and do what they wanted, right? You can see the same distinction in our passage. Jesus gives the interpretation of the parables to those around him with the 12. That's exactly the language we see in Mark chapter 3, verse 34. Jesus says that to those around him has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't give the interpretation to those outside. Again, exactly the language we see in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Those outside are those who have already rejected Jesus, who've chosen not to follow him. And in their case, Jesus tells us the purpose of his parables there in verse 12. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, for those outside, everything is in parables. Verse 12, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is there quoting from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When God sends Isaiah out to preach to the people of Israel, God tells Isaiah as he sends them that in his sovereign purpose, Israel has so far rebelled against God that they will not listen to Isaiah's message. So through the preaching of Isaiah and through the preaching of Jesus, God's sovereign purpose in the case of some is to harden them in their rejection of Jesus. In their case, because they had rejected Jesus, God's purpose was that they would not understand. They did not listen to God's word, so God, in his justice, withheld further understanding from them. Some commentators have suggested that the very last line of verse 12 might be ironic. So imagine reading verse 12 with an exclamation point at the end of that last line. So the sense of the final line might be, because the last thing that they want is for their sins to be forgiven, right? That seems plausible to me. That seems to match with God's, uh, what Scripture says about God delighting in the forgiveness of sinners. But in either case, this passage clearly asserts that God's sovereign purpose through His Word is to harden some and soften others. Friends, listen, the surprising thing is not that God hardens sinners who have rejected and spurned him. The shocking thing is that God shows extravagant grace and mercy and kindness to sinners 
who hate and spurn and reject him. The shocking thing is that in some hearts that are shallow and stony, God's grace miraculously churns and renews and fertilizes the soil. The shocking thing is that in some hearts that are infested with selfish, worldly thorns, God in his mercy clears the ground that there might be gospel growth. We might be shocked that God's purpose is to harden those outside, but the shocking thing is that in God's mercy, a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and people and language and nation has been brought from the outside to the inside by the mercy of God in Christ. They have been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Saints, if if we belong to Jesus, praise God for his mercy, that we who once rejected him have not been hardened, but mercifully have been brought inside. Jesus says very clearly here that that he spoke in parables in part because it was God's sovereign purpose to conceal the truth from some of those who had rejected him. But that's, that's not the whole story behind Jesus' use of parables. Jesus' use of parables also seems related to God's plan uh, that the fullness of Jesus' message remain hidden until after his death and resurrection. So, for example, in Mark chapter 9, when Peter and James and John follow Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is transfigured before them in glory, Jesus tells them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So that seems to be similar with what's going on with Jesus' use of parables. God's word and the message of the gospel continues to soften and to harden today. But the interpretation of the parables, which originally was only for insiders, the interpretation of the parables is now public knowledge, right? Anyone, believer or unbeliever, can read and understand what the parable means in Mark chapter 4. And so it seems like parables were especially suited to the sort of concealment that Jesus wanted prior to his death and resurrection when his message could be fully articulated afterward. So that seems to be what Jesus is getting at there in verses 20 and 20, I'm sorry, 21 and 22. He says, is a lamp, in this case, probably the teaching about God's kingdom, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden, like the purpose of the par- or the meaning of the parables, except to be made manifest. And nor is anything secret, like the parables, except eventually to come to light. So what was the purpose of Jesus' use of parables? We see two truths in tension here. Verses 10 to 12 say that Jesus used parables in part to conceal the truth from those who had already rejected him. Verses 21 and 22 also indicate that Ultimately, Jesus did mean for the meaning of his parables to become public knowledge and to give light like a lamp to anyone who has ears to hear. That is the purpose that Mark tells us for which Jesus used these parables. We've seen the context of the parable. We've looked at the parable itself, the interpretation of the parable, the purpose of the parables. Fifth and finally, let's think about the application of the parables. Now, it's very true. Uh, Jesus' commentary on the four kinds of soil, uh, it does invite those of us who are believers to sort of reflect on the state of our hearts. So when we hear God's word, 
Does it sort of bounce off of us like seed off a hardened path? Right? Is our positive response to God's word, is it deeper than sort of a shallow happiness that we're not suffering right now? Does God's word take root deeply in our hearts so that it survives the heat? Right? We're invited to reflect, do the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, do these things compete with our attention to what God says to us? Those are important questions for self-reflection. But that's actually not the main application of the passage. First, Jesus is not telling a parable about four different kinds of Christians. These are four different kinds of people, right? One of whom, one kind of whom represents a saving response to the gospel. Second, Jesus doesn't say, if anyone has ears to hear, let him ponder what kind of soil he might be. That's not what Jesus says. That might not be a bad thing. That's not the command that Jesus gives us in this passage. Jesus tells us four times exactly how he wants us to apply this parable. Look there in verse 3. What's the first word in verse 3? Listen. Look there in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him do what? Let him hear. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear, or as Luke's gospel has it, pay attention to how you hear. The main application of the parable is this. Listen to God's word. Take in what God says to you and believe it. Direct your attention to the message of Jesus delivered to you in the Bible. Perk up your ears, zone in, receive as important what the Word of God says to you. Pay attention to what you hear. Or again, as Luke puts it, pay attention to how you hear. In closing, four things we see about the kind of listening that Jesus calls us to in this passage. Four ways that this passage calls us to listen to God's word. First, I think this passage encourages us to listen prayerfully. Listen prayerfully. So why did the disciples receive the interpretation of the parable in this passage? Well, on one level, it's because of the sovereign work of God. And on another level, it's because they asked Jesus. They asked him. They knew that they didn't understand, so they went to Jesus and asked him for help to understand. Friend, listen prayerfully when you come to the Bible. Ask the Lord to give you ears to hear when you come to his word. Ask the Lord to give you a heart attentive to what he says. One of the things you may have noticed that I pray all the time before we come to God's word is from Psalm 119:36 where the psalmist asks the Lord incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. What a helpful prayer. That's exactly what I need. My heart is inclined to all sorts of different things and I need God's help to bend my heart toward his word that I might receive it and treasure it and believe it. First way this passage encourages us to listen, listen prayerfully. Second, I think this passage encourages us to listen inquiringly or to listen asking questions. 
So when Jesus' disciples ask him about the parable, that's a model to us of sort of seeking help from Jesus in prayer. I think it's also a model to us of just like recognizing when you don't understand something, right? When you come to the Bible, when we come to the Bible, there's a danger that we fall into the habit of only seeing things that we already know, right? We can feel sort of a pressure to sort of already understand everything, Because if we don't have all the answers and we need to ask a question, that sort of reflects poorly on us. Like, oh, I didn't didn't know. I had to ask. But the thing is, if if you can only see in the Bible what you already know, you can't learn anything new. So why do the disciples ask Jesus to explain the parable? Because they know they don't know what the parable means. So saints, it can be a really good thing as you're grappling with God's word to be able to say, wait a second, I don't know what that means. To be able to say, wait, I, why does he say that? Why does he say it like that? I don't understand. That's not a sign of failure. That's a means of growth. Questions can be a way of identifying what we don't understand so that we grow in our understanding. This passage encourages us to listen prayerfully. It encourages us to listen inquiringly, willing to ask questions when we don't know. A third, this passage encourages us uh, to listen perseveringly, or more simply, to keep listening. One way you could describe the problem with at least two of the bad soils, if not all three, is that they listen, but they don't keep listening. As Luke, Luke's gospel puts it, they don't hold fast with patience the word of God. Something else gets in the way of their continued listening. So friend, maybe you feel low and dry and frustrated spiritually. Maybe your relationship with God's word doesn't feel as vibrant and as joyous and as life-giving as it once was. That's so hard when you're there. I've certainly been there. Listen, if that's you, just keep listening. Keep listening to God's life-giving word. Continue to receive meekly the implanted word that's able to save your souls. That word is the word that's able to transform you not only from a hearer to hears, but to a doer who acts, who puts into practice. If you are dry spiritually, keep listening to what God says in his word. Christian, if you're feeling dry and discouraged and weak and weary, know two things. First, you're in good company. Read the Psalms. You're not the first of God's people to feel really, really crummy spiritually. And second, know this. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That doesn't mean you're going to leave every quiet time with a spiritual high, but you can take that one to the bank. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it will in time, by God's grace, if received in faith, revive your soul. If you find yourself in need of spiritual life, keep listening. Keep sitting attentively under the faithful ministry of God's word. Keep reading the Bible. Keep studying the Bible. Keep singing the Bible. Keep going to the Bible. Keep listening to the Bible. Listen prayerfully. Listen inquiringly. Listen perseveringly. Keep listening. Fourth and finally, listen expectantly. Listen expectantly. Look there at verse 24. It says, And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. 
with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. In context, Jesus' words seem to mean something like this. The measure of attentiveness to God's word that you use, that will be reflected in the measure of spiritual growth and understanding produced in you. And God's grace will add even more to that. So Christian, if if the Lord wills and we continue to live, imagine what your spiritual health might look like over the next 10 years. Will we we grow to love Jesus more or less? Will we grow to be like Jesus more or less over the next 10 years if the Lord tarries and gives us life? Well, listen, this, this passage teaches us to expect that my spiritual growth and health over the next 10 years will be a reflection of my attitude toward God's word over the next 10 years. So Christian, if you want to grow, listen to the Bible. Get under God's word. Soak yourself in it. Come to church, right? The church every Sunday. It's a Bible fest, as Dave pointed out. We read the Bible. We sing the Bible. We pray the Bible. I preach the Bible, right? Come to church. This is where God's word is is poured into his people. Jesus says, with the measure that we use, it will be measured to us Verse 25 states the same principle. It says, for the one who has, in context, the one who has received God's word by faith, the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, right, the one whose heart has not embraced God's word, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus calls us to listen expectantly, to listen expecting that God will repay our listening graciously with spiritual life. And understanding. Listen, we saw in verses 10 to 12 that God's word gives life in some cases and hardens in some cases. God's word is so clear. God's word never hardens anyone who is seeking him in humble faith. God's word never turns away anyone who comes to him in faith. Jesus' word here teaches us to listen God's word expecting that as we do, he delights to bless those who listen. The passage encourages us to listen prayerfully, to listen inquiringly, to listen perseveringly, to listen expectantly. Let me close with this. After the apostle Peter reminds his readers at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1 that we've been born again, that we've been given new life by the word, by the seed that is the gospel, this is how Peter encourages us to keep going in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Saints, let's pray that God would help us to long for the precious and pure milk of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your kindness you have given us ears to hear, or that when we did not love Jesus, when we were on the outside, in your mercy by your spirit, you changed our hearts and inclined them to your testimonies. God, I pray that you would continue to do that work of making us attentive sons who listen, attentive daughters who love your word and treasure what you say. God, give us ears to hear. Help us to use a generous, eager 
humble, hungry measure when we come to your word, Lord, that you might bless us richly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.